And welcome back to the podcast with the same number of losses this year as Manchester City. That's right, still playing undefeated. It's the Peachtree Post Soccer about Atlanta in Atlanta for Atlanta. Alongside the resident historian of Atlanta soccer slash uh, marshal of Atlanta's airport during his Wednesday night uh, soccer events, ATL Soccer Chats. I'll get there eventually. It's Jason Longshore, everybody. What's up? Not much. I'm Jarrett Smith. Uh... Chilling out in the Musa Dembele Shrine in Smyrna, Georgia. Uh, hey, don't knock it. Um, this week, like, okay, last week we went over a lot of fun things, a lot of what-ifs. Well, those what-ifs came to pass. Um, if you'll remember, last week we went over the idea of Tata. We talked, kind of built up the Academy games at home. All of this, like, all of this went really anti-Atlanta. And by that, I mean, it went really well for everyone involved. I'm not used to this. I don't know. I don't really know what to make of it. If it makes you feel better, Freddie Freeman's 30 game hitting streak just snapped. Uh, I need if that balances it a bit for you. Yeah, there that, had that to be balances it for you. going to go wrong, and, and that's it. So, uh, Atlanta going to Atlanta. But, I mean, that's the bottom line, y'all. If you don't know already, uh, Atlanta has a manager. Um, Atlanta also, we'll get, we can touch on this later if you want, Jason, but they kind of talked about Atlanta getting kit soon. So, yep. It kind of falls into that line that we've talked about that there would be this slow time, but after the slow time, it would just bang, 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 one after another. And it's, yeah. it's yeah, doing it's, that. Stuff is happening. Let's put it that way. And the Academy just Cirque du Soleil their way to win after win uh, on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, looking, and we'll get into this, looking just better. They just look better than uh, than the Chargers. And that's not really a knock on the Chargers so much as like, Atlanta just looked better. I will get into it. I think there's there's some things from that game, and there's definitely some things from the Sunday game that uh, I went to that it's it's really good, and there's a lot of talent, but it's still really early in the process, and there's a lot of things to learn. Absolutely. Um, but to start off, uh, Tata Mania, Tatlanta, Atlantata, uh, yours, uh, Tiki Tata, which uh, you can credit to Jason Longshore if you use it. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think I can take full credit for creating that, but I just really like it. So that's that's where I'm going to go with. Okay, then use it. Um, Atlanta's got a manager. Like I, that's I don't want to bury the lead. A former Barcelona, a former Arsenal, uh, Arsenal. Oh God, Argentina oh, oh. manager. <laughs> oh. Tata How rips did... off. <laughs> oh, Tata God. rips off the mask, and it's and it's Arsene Wenger. I'm leaving. Oh no! <laughs> all right, all right. Let me let me try to regroup after that one. Yeah, go ahead. Wow. Um. Yeah. So I, when when the rumor started with the stuff, uh, you know, started sending some messages out to people I know and wanted to get some thoughts on if this was legit or not. And I, I'll never forget like the first text I got back from somebody who has some connections, uh, Patricio Montalbetti, our, our friend from the ATL soccer chats, where he said that, you know, he, he started checking into it with connections he has in Argentina and he texted me back and said something, I'm going to paraphrase something like, you know, everything I'm hearing is that this is a legitimate rumor, but I will not believe it until I see it. And that was kind of how it went. I think for a lot of people uh, up until, you know, the morning that it was announced this week, 
that it, yeah, it was, it was done. And here he is. Um, it was just a surprise. Like, you know, nobody expected Atlanta United to be in this type of conversation in year one. And for a manager to come off of, you know, managing Lionel Messi at club and country with his last two jobs to be the first man in charge of Atlanta United. We didn't expect it. Look, here's the thing. Um, when you tell me that, and when Atlanta United tells me that, oh yeah, we've got we've got our sights set on something big. I don't. I know. I personally didn't think this big. Yeah, I thought big, and I was thinking, you know, okay, like the academy and that development, that's big. The training facility, big. You know, playing at Mercedes Benz, big. Jason Christ would have been big to me at the time, like before he goes to Orlando. It's like, oh, that'd have been a really, that'd have been a big hire. Absolutely, it would have been. Um, and that's the thing that I think everybody connected to MLS is going to have to get used to after this hire is that that definition of big is not the same as it used to be. No, and I've lost track now of how many articles I've read <clears throat> on different websites, different blogs, different hot takes about, oh, well, Atlanta just threw down the gauntlet, not only in terms of an expansion franchise saying, hey, we're coming out of the gates firing on all cylinders here, or we're going to try to. They threw down the gauntlet for the entire MLS. They've, As you said, they've changed the meaning of the word here, and they changed the meaning of big for the MLS in general. If this kind of move pays off, then you've had two high-profile foreign managers come in and start wrecking shop. That changes things going forward with the MLS. This is this is completely different, too. Um, and no disrespect to Patrick Vieira and what he's done with New York City FC, no. but Martino is coming in known for two big things that I think are different in MLS, uh, the Academy and the interest in really connecting the Academy to the first team all the way through and promoting young players. We've seen it with Pereja in Dallas, but this is going to be somebody new coming in and doing this from the jump with an Academy. And the other thing I think is his, his tactical astuteness because Vieira's come in and done really well, but there's been lots of different questions about different tactical moves he's made and and all that. And, you know, no offense again to Vieira, but I don't see a Tata Martino team losing 7-0 to a rival. I just don't see it happening. I think he's going to fix that and not have that happen. Um, I think that's been a, a criticism of the league in a lot of circles is that it's you know very physical. It's all about speed and power. All the teams kind of play the same, very vanilla, not a lot of tactics going on. Martino's going to change that conversation, and he's going to change it not in a one-way approach like you see with New York Red Bulls and Jesse Marsh, and you see a good bit with Peter Vermes and Sporting Kansas City where they have a style, which is a, one step in the right direction, but it never changes, and it, they never adjust. That's something that was stressed throughout the press conference, throughout the media conversations afterwards. This, you know, Martino being in charge of Atlanta United, the team will adjust. I mean, Bocanegra said it today on Extra Time Radio. You might see them play differently away than they do at home, things like that. They're going to have to adjust to the players that they have. 
you don't see that very often in this league. And I think a lot of it is just because you don't see a manager with this level of experience and this type of background come into the league. So again, it's, it's kind of a different world we're moving into now. I mean, I'm excited about it. It's, it's, it's a different world and it's worth the risk. Cause I had to pump the brakes personally thinking, okay, well, you know, this is going to be fun. Like there's always the chance something can go South. Something can get pear shaped. Cause a, this is Atlanta and B it's soccer. You never really know, but I will never not applaud them for making the move in the first place. I think it's absolutely, uh, if you want to call it a risk, it's a risk worth taking. If you just want to call it a hire, it's a hire worth making. Um, You've, and it's funny to me when I look back at it, how many, uh, looking at the press conference, if you managed to catch it, if you were there, um, how many of the dots connected so easily after the fact? Like where you look back like, oh, that makes oh that makes sense. Like his insistence on using academy players and working from the inside with a team that is trying to just turn their academy into a juggernaut off the bat. Uh, the players that they already have fit into what he wants to do, which you could say about a lot of coaches who you could bring in, that you could have players that fit into the systems. But it a, a guy who's willing to kind of make his own culture here, and he's a home run. Like, all of these little dots are connecting after the fact, and I'm sitting there thinking, this is, this is pretty much as good as you were going to get, I think. And, and that's it. This is a different level of good than we considered going into anything. You know, we were talking Jason Christ, Siggy Schmidt, Adrian Heath. We were even getting, you know, outside the box. ramped about Martinez for five seconds. Martinez, we were, you know, getting outside the box with a a Giovanni Savarese and some other, you know, very good candidates who I think could do very good work. This is at another level from that. You know, it's the comparison was made, uh, about this being like the David Beckham signing on the coaching side. And I think it can be, I think it might take some time for everybody to catch up to that, but this is that level of a move. And, you know, let's start locally. You start to think about all the Atlanta clubs, you know, let's throw in uh, Georgia, Georgia tech, you know, just throw in Atlanta sports in general. Can you think of a coaching or manager hire of anything remotely close to this in Atlanta sports? No, not really. I mean, well, the only things that pop into mind are, uh, see, the Hawks had Lenny Wilkins for a bit. That was a big deal. Um, was it a big deal when he was hired, though? No, I, I see what you mean. I'm just trying yeah. to think of, like, names that they brought in. Like, the the Falcons had Jerry Glanville, which went about as well as, you know, anything else the Falcons have ever done. You know, um, the, the one they of made the... A, on the Falcon side, I think it's Dan Reeves. That is, I was going to say Bobby Petrino. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's got to be somebody who has a track record. That's the yeah. thing is that Martino brings is not just ability, but a track record. And, you know, Dan Reeves with the Falcons was that mix of, you know, being very good, having a track record, you know, been in, in some places, and then also coming in here and moving the needle. Like he generated excitement with that hire. For, and for what it's worth, by the way, with Reeves, if we can jump off for a second, um, I've heard from sources before that like Reeves basically told them at the beginning of that se- that magical season, like if you guys want it, uh, and basically showed them Eugene Robinson's championship ring from when he was in Green Bay. You guys want one of these? Do what I say. Yeah. And look what happened. Like Martino's been successful. Um, people are going to knock the you know the losses to Chile. Um, 
you know, the Barcelona season where he only had one trophy, which is kind of like being that, and they're not a big fish in a small pond in the same sense of other teams like a, a Fenerbahce uh, or a, or any of the team clubs in Turkey or a Celtic where you expect to win, you know, you know, we're like one trophy is just a, is it's, it's different in Spain because it's such a deep and difficult uh, league and you can still see his lasting impact there. Yeah. But, that situation was very different. I think people who oh, are yeah. you know, using it as a way to say, Oh, well he, he's not a winner at the top level. Um, you got to remember how he came into that job. He didn't have a preseason with that team. They, it was just obvious that they needed a makeover and they needed more tactical variants. And he didn't get that preseason with them. And he was taken over from a beloved manager who, you know, had to leave due to medical issues. That's going to affect a squad. So my favorite part is after he left, then after he leaves, you get a front line of Neymar, Suarez and Messi. Like, good luck messing that up. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is that he kind of started this next wave of Barcelona. And I don't think Luis Enrique would have been as far along if they hadn't had the year with Martino where they kind of, it's almost like, you know, you don't want to be, you know, the guy who follows the guy. And this is not exactly that because Villanova actually followed Pep, but Villanova was, you don't, you don't want to be Freddie Gonzalez. Yeah. You don't want to, it's hard because when you come in to that situation and Barca has, the Barca way they, they had what they are and Martino tried to bring something new to that and tweak it. And it wasn't all that well received one. It's he didn't have a preseason to really prepare the team for it. So he was kind of doing it on the fly, which is always hard. And two people didn't get it at first because I just, I always remember reading about a game. They won big and they didn't have the possession advantage and the media flipped out, even though it was like a 4-0 win, because they didn't have the possession advantage. They didn't win a stat. This is soccer. Stats don't mean anything in that sense of, you know, it's a 4-0 win. Possession, if you have 48% as opposed to 58%, does it? Is it really a bad thing if you won 4-0? No. No, but it, but it does happen. You watch, you watch Twitter on any Champions League day, um... And that happens. I watched it happen the other day. Manchester City at one point had like a 52 or a 54% possession. And people were at, were just like, they're ready to set stuff on fire. It's silly. And let's let's and, take it back to the, the style question that keeps coming up here about, oh, well, how's he going to play? How's he going to play? How's he going to play? We don't know yet. And it does, he doesn't have to play the same way every game, every 90 minutes. It doesn't have to look the same. Good managers at this level need to be able to adjust. If he's playing an opponent who is going to sit back and he's going to have more possession, okay, that's one thing. You adjust to that. If he's playing a, an opponent like the Red Bulls, who's going to press him, then he has to adjust to that. He has to play different. That's what a smart manager is going to do. He's also going to adjust to what he has. If he's missing his striker, if he's missing one of his center backs, he's going to have to do something different and adjust. That's the level of stuff that we're going to have now as opposed to a lot of MLS managers who, if they're missing their top striker, it's just like, oh, well, let's just plug somebody in and hope it happens. No, he could change the formation and do something different. He um, can change the formation. He can make tactical substitutions in game. Yeah. These are the things that Tata Martino is going to bring that Atlanta needs to understand. You know, it's if you win one game with 60% possession and you win the next game with 40% possession, 
it's hey, it two wins. A, three points is three points. Exactly. It doesn't and matter. We're, we're in the business of trophies at this point. Like, yeah. Like, and so, like, oh, don't get me wrong. Supporter Shield would be great, but I'm in the business of you know hoisting hey, cups. That, that's a trophy, though. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock. Oh no, that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock it. I just but I'm just saying like. If you spend the every season like, oh, like I'm floating around the supporter shield, I get it once or twice, and then you know, you're out in the first round of the playoffs, that's a disappointment. And you can blame it on the format that the United States has with playoffs. It and I mean I'll argue it with you just because the MLS playoffs are fun because they're chaotic and it's like watching a car drive down the road with on fire. And that's sort of fun to watch. It's just a different element. I think one of my things is with uh with the hire is I, I kind of balk at all the talk of oh well how's he going to do in in the in America with the differences in transportation and you know uh, traveling across the country how's he going to adjust the weird weird rules like I trust they have the people in place to help him out with that I trust that they have the system in place to kind of acclimate him to that also he has time the first game isn't next week like he's trying to like cram on an airplane going to the first game he's got time to learn things he's got time to figure it out you can talk about the mls being a brutish league uh being rudimentary well how about instead of bringing in a coach who is just going to keep mashing a, a rock hammer against a wall of granite bring in somebody who does something different who can adjust on the fly and play that way if he needs to but throw something different throw him something they haven't seen before possibly Uh, the thing with with martino to me you know and any any foreign manager doesn't know the league one he's gonna have an assistant this has been nailed down from the beginning of this whole conversation he's gonna have an assistant on his staff who knows the league and that's something they're working on now okay so that's one problem solved the other when you get into the travel stuff it it will adjust it will cause a manager to, to change what they do because you know, you look at what he did in Spain. You, you know, he, he goes back to his training plans in Spain, his training plans in Argentina. Well, you didn't have to account for a five-hour flight across the country and the jet lag and that type of stuff all the time. So there will be an adjustment period of that. But this is also a manager who, how Argentina played was different than how Barcelona played. How Barcelona played was different than how Neil's old boys played. How Mills Old Boys played was different than the Paraguayan national team. He's been able to adjust both to the competition and to what he has to work with. So I see no reason why all of a sudden when he gets to Atlanta, he's not going to be able to do that. No, neither do I. Um, I think it's going to be just fine. And I'm excited because... Yeah. yeah go ahead. It's It's a big move. It's a huge move. And... It just it changes everything, in my opinion, for what this club can be, and and really, when you get to the the giant picture of it, what MLS can be. It's just that's that's my big thing is I feel like he could this could not not that this would be the thing to do it, but this could kind of could be the first uh, the first step to dragging the MLS kicking and screaming in an in another direction, not exclusively in another direction but in another direction at some point it's going to open up some some people's minds and i mean the first question to me was minnesota all right so minnesota's coming in same time um they have sold eight thousand season ticket pledges uh in a month or so which is really good yeah not knocking it uh, I got no beef with minnesota you know they're going to have a smaller stadium than atlanta and i don't have to work with 
let's get into the manager side. They were the names that have been linked to Minnesota are Carl Craig, who is their manager in NASL right now. They're clinging to the last playoff spot in the NASL. Uh, Siggy Schmid and Tom Sohn. Tom Sohn is an assistant with Jay Heaps in New England, and he previously managed DC United and Vancouver on an interim basis when he was the sporting director there. Okay. Siggy Schmid, we know what he's done in the league. Tom Sohn has a supporter shield to his name. Are they anywhere remotely close to bringing the credibility, the international renown, all the things that have happened in the you know the couple days since Tata Martino was announced in Atlanta? No, they don't. No, they I mean don't. it's a different animal completely. It's different. So, like does, you got international this, attention here, uh, massively. So, yeah. does this move affect what Minnesota does? Do they look at this and be like, "Wow, if we go out and we announce Tom Sohn as our our first manager compared to Tata Martino, that's not going to look good." You know, do we have to change what we're going to do? And then LAFC coming in. LAFC wants to be giant off the bat. All right, so they're going to have to up their game to keep up. Um, the next, whichever next club is looking for a manager, they're going to have to do it. We we you know we've talked a little bit off air about Houston. Houston yeah. is looking for a manager. Houston, uh, if you haven't read Will Parchman's piece on Top Drawer Soccer, it's definitely a must read because you see all the things that you know we kind of look at Atlanta United as having gotten right here so far. In building a club, <laughs> Will talks about all of the things that Houston has gotten wrong, especially in recent years. Like irrationally and wrong. Silly, like getting, you know, Cubo Torres and then basically trying to ruin his career, it seems like. <laughs> and playing the most boring style of soccer imaginable in a city that is just like dying for decent soccer to watch. Yeah, it shouldn't be that hard. In no, Houston. it shouldn't. Um, it shouldn't. I mean, reading the Cuba Torres thing, I kept thinking this is this is almost like an, an unintentional version of Major League. Like, except <laughs> instead of trying to drive the team to Miami, they're just they're just fumbling in the dark with it. They're fumbling yeah. in the dark barefoot, and there are light bulbs that were knocked out, and there's glass everywhere, and good luck avoiding it. At least Major League, you know, the owner had a a purpose for wrecking there, the there franchise. Is a set, yeah, there was a set goal, but with Houston, it's 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 almost worse because it seems completely rudderless. And I think you'd rather, I don't know if you'd rather be uh, sailing towards a waterfall or just floating in the middle of the ocean with no wind. It's it's bad either way. And yeah. you know, you read that, and then you you read that after the day that Atlanta United had yesterday, which will go down as one of the biggest days in franchise history. And you read about how Houston has just gotten so much wrong in recent years. I mean, the thing about you know, the, the two young players that they sign, they, they send to Rio Grande Valley, which is a, a great idea for an, a USL team, which is you know outside of Houston, but you invest in it. You get Wilmer Cabrera there, who is coached with the US Youth National Teams. You get these two young kids who you, know, you expect to be really good pros for you. And they play a combined like 330 minutes in a season. One of them didn't even play like a full 90 minutes in a whole season. And those are your homegrowns. What are you doing? Are you trying to wreck their career? I don't it's, know. I mean, it makes no they, sense. They, and I, I mean it almost lightly. 
they did what you would expect an Atlanta franchise to do if we're going to keep beating the beating the dead horse. Yeah, honestly. I mean, and now we get to it where Atlanta is the one that gets everything right so far. Um, it's a little unnerving. It really is. is it, <laughs> they're, they're saying all the right things. They're making all the right moves. It's all coming off very, very well. And, you know, Houston has kind of ruined their credibility and relevance locally in Houston, you know, nationally, internationally. Like uh, Will talked about how Houston is going to have problems signing any type of uh, player of any pedigree because they're going to look at what that club has been. They're going to look at empty seats. They're going to look at the style of play. They're going to look at just where the club falls in the city and be like, well, why do I want to go there? Then they're going to look at Atlanta and Atlanta can have this conversation with much bigger players than Houston can. And it's not just about the checkbook either. It's about Atlanta United has 22,000 season ticket holders. Plus now it could be up to 25 at this point. We don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if it keeps growing after this. It's a lot. There's going to be a put, there's going to be a bump after this. And honestly, there's probably going to be a bump after the kit comes out. Yeah. There's going to, there's, there's lots of little bumps along the way that are going to kick it up and it's just going to depend on how many they want to sell. That's what it's going to come down to. So you're a, a top player and Houston and Atlanta come to you with contracts. And let's say for the sake of argument, Houston's offering more money. You're still going to look at it. Okay. I'm going to have a fan base. I have a manager who is internationally known and respected and a club that is credible and they're investing in their academy like all the things that you want to see out of a top flight club, Atlanta's doing so far, and not everybody else is. By the way, I'm going to think the exact same thing if I'm a kid and I'm getting asked by either academy. Like, like whether you're a top level player or a kid, like I guess what I mean is, at any level right now, Atlanta United's kind of pacing the field. They're they're doing the right thing so far, and they've. They've established credibility, which is not easy to do in MLS. It's not easy to do in this league. It's not easy to do in any sport, to be honest. But they've established credibility before they've even started. And that's a really hard thing to pull off. And and Arthur Blank and Darren Eels have done that. That's big. And low-key credit to Blank. I think someone pointed out during the Monday Night Football game, which, by the way, was another thing that went right for Atlanta this weekend. Uh, they went in and hung like 45 on their rival. Like something's got to go wrong here, um, but someone pointed out he had a Atlanta United pin on his uh, jacket next to the Falcons one. He's been very, very intentional about not making Atlanta United seem like a redheaded stepchild, which he is has, great considering we watched that happen in this city with the uh, Atlanta Spirit Group. You watched it happen in Atlanta with the Thrashers and the Hawks, and you you've watched it with the New England Revolution for years. And it doesn't work that way. It's it's separate audiences, sure. I mean, you're not going to have as much crossover between the Falcons and Atlanta United as you might think. It's Seattle. It was a very small amount of crossover between the Seahawks and the Sounders. But again, it's perception. It's credibility. If the owner is in that situation and in all the public situations that, that Arthur Blank is in on a daily basis... And he talks about the Falcons for 95% of the time and then says, oh, yeah, and we're starting a soccer team. People will look at it as, oh, it's not important. 
Blank has not done that. He is constantly included Atlanta United in the conversation. He's made it a priority. It's it's a big deal, and it's a big deal to him, and it shows. So that makes it a big deal to everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Um, uh, I still well, say look, it's. Oh, go ahead. Look at this. I mean, uh, Soccer Prime on Twitter had asked us about Gerard Piquet and talking about players who could be interested. Gerard Piquet said that he would rather come to the U.S. and, and MLS than go to China, even though China might have more money to spend or whatever. It's as a competition, it's not seen as, you know, as credible as MLS. You don't have as many fans. It's just not as high of a level. So now that Tata Martino, one of his former managers, is in Atlanta, does Atlanta, you know, resonate with a PK now? It could. Oh yeah. And not only just Atlanta, but if the if if the if Atlanta kind of helps shuffle the league along in this direction, then I think you see the the credibility of the entire league go up. And you see more and more people doing that, not viewing the league. And it, it it hasn't been the same. And I'm not saying it currently is like that, but you get away from people viewing the MLS as a retirement league. And you get more towards people maybe in their prime, maybe kind of pushing to the back end of their prime some, and maybe some young guys trying to establish themselves viewing the MLS as a bridge instead of a retirement. And foregoing the money in China for the competition because – at the rate it's going, yeah, you're getting you're running into those situations where people are going to China for the money, and it's just not it's not good. Well, they don't stay very long, is what no, happens. The, they get there yeah. and they're like, okay, it was a nice check, but I'm out. Yeah, like what's the like what's the benefit? Look at uh look at Drogba. Yep, Drogba, there's like, been a bunch. Think, if 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 the money hadn't been what it was, Drogba's not going to Shanghai. No. No, I mean it's just it makes no sense. And this league, the moves that it's making, you know, Atlanta coming in and and getting into that conversation of challenging Seattle for attendance and, you know, really surpassing everybody with this type of manager hire. You're going to have Minnesota come in, which is going to be a very good, smaller market team, you know, more of a community type of feel. And that's that's great. You need those two. You need that mix. I'm not trying to knock Minnesota when I'm comparing, but it's different. And then you're going to have LAFC, another mega club coming in. And if Miami ever happens, then that's another one. Um, yeah, we, we can't wait till 2135. Someday, someday. So you're having these strong clubs come in and it's raising the bar. It's raising the bar. Orlando raised the bar. New York City has raised the bar. And the rest of the league is going to have to catch up. Which is is good. This is this is how the league gets better. This is how Chicago and New England and Houston even get better is by Atlanta, Orlando, New York City, Minnesota raising that bar. Yeah. Well, we'll see how the bar raises. Um, there could always be more news about assistance and whatnot. Like we said, one and we've told people once once things get rolling, they roll. This isn't like. This doesn't really level out. Once it starts going downhill, uh, gravity wins, and it's going to start rolling until we get to the game itself. It's not to say you're going to have like you know great reveal videos every single day in Atlanta United, but it's going to be in the news. It's going to be a big deal. You know, kits coming in November. I'm still hoping I see it under my Christmas tree. Um, Nudge, <laughs> nudge. Um, you're going to see more names signed as soon as the and we've gone over this. I know you've mentioned it a hundred times that as soon as the MLS Cup is over, like it's go time. 
So it's it's full speed ahead now. Well, there's going to be stuff between now and then. Um, oh yeah. Look at it this way: you've got the priority draft in October, mid October. You're going to have your the rest of your coaching staff really filled out probably by the end of October. Um, you're going to have the kit late November. You're going to have MLS Cup and then everything that happens in that week following uh, mid-December. Training camp, January, probably mid to late January. Preseason games in February. Season starts beginning of March. It's it's fairly constant now. On the, the coaching staff front, a uh, couple things that, that I've learned in the last couple of days. Jorge Thieler, who is somebody we talked about last week, who has been involved with Argentina's youth national teams, uh, the academy at Newell's Old Boys. He's been with Tata at many of his stops along the way. He was here at the the press conference. Um, Wasn't mentioned directly, but he was here, part of that. Uh, Looks like if he's here, I'm assuming he's going to be part of the staff. Uh, Vero Brunati uh, in Buenos Aires had him as the lead assistant. So we'll see what position he is in, but looks like he's going to be here. I uh, also saw some tweets that uh, Manuel Alfaro, who has been a trainer along the way with Tata, many stops, last one with Argentina's national team, is also coming to Atlanta. Those are two that I've seen more chatter about um, after Brunati's original report. Haven't seen anything on who that MLS experienced assistant could be. I think they're just starting to figure that out. Uh, Martino has some connections already, different people that he's worked with, different people that he knows um, around the league. He's had some conversations, but also Bocanegra and Eels and McDonough will have some people in mind as well. And they'll probably try to nail that down by the end of October, I would assume. Yeah. So like you said, we'll keep it going. Um, Shift gears a bit here. Uh, and go to the Academy. We talked it up last week. They had the first game at Pace. Go check out Dirty South Soccer. Uh, go check out the website. We got pictures up. Had a had a number of writers out there. Uh, and man, we had Jimmy Johnson. We had a good time. Um, everybody was happy. Uh, everybody walked away happy with a win. Uh, got to see what the kids can do. Uh, there were smoke bombs. There was oppressive heat on the first day of fall. It had everything. Yeah, the, the heat was ridiculous both days. Um, I went back out on Sunday as well. For That's the game. all you. I, I stayed here on Sunday. Yeah, it was all you. It was it was stupid hot. Um, just ridiculous for this time of year. I'm glad it's finally started to cool down now. Yeah, but that's Georgia. So that's Atlanta. What were your thoughts on the game Saturday? Uh, the the game with Clearwater Chargers. Well, the eighteen the eighteen game. Was we watched it from the alter, from the uh, off sideline at first with no one else there on the blistering heat of the bleachers, um, you know I thought it was it took it kind of it kind of felt stubborn at first. Everybody kind of everybody decided long ball was the way to go. That was the uh, flavor of summer, and they didn't want summer to end. So a lot of long balls, but at the same time, even when they were doing that, 18s were still leaning on the diagonal ball. Uh, it took me it took you a lot quicker than it took me to figure out the formation. Um, and the way they were pushing up their left uh, left back into the attack, but I thought it balanced out very nicely. And once they got into a rhythm, and once they finally get that first goal after a couple solid saves by the keeper from Clearwater, everything kind of just I think they relaxed a bit. 
uh, there wasn't really a competition from Clearwater against uh, against Okonkwo. He was just too big. He was too fast. They were all too good in the air. Um, it was one of those games where, like, tactically, I think Clearwater could have been higher, and Atlanta still probably wins just because at that point they were just that much better physically. And uh, when it came to athleticism in the air and on the ground, in fact, they were faster. Um, they were more solid in the back. I think uh, one of the things you noted was their back line was just incredibly solid. I can't remember Figaro. who it was. I got to pull it up. Uh, really refresh my memory, Jason. Who was uh, who was playing center back that we were? Oh, Figueroa. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Figueroa was just a rock in the back. Um, and they, I think you pointed out, they just kept leaning on a, a Clearwater kept targeting him because they didn't want to target uh, the big athletic center back. So they went after the guy who was quote unquote less athletic, and he was a rock. He just intercepted everything and calmly passed it around and kept the play moving forward. Overall, I was really impressed. The, the one goal they gave up on Saturday was a tricky free kick in which we all kind of looked weird because they all ran, all three guys ran past it, stood around for a minute, we made fun of them, and then the ball was in the back of the net. So that was that was pretty cool. But in the second half, they uh, Atlanta scored that second goal, made it 2-1. And, and I think the Heat had something to do with it. Not to say that Clearwater can't handle the Heat. They're in Florida. But the floodgates just opened up. And everything looked that much easier for Atlanta. They looked a lot looser. They, st- I think they, as the game went on, they got more into the rhythm of we're going to play the ball on the ground. There's the, there's you know the ball moving forward with the diagonal ball. But overall, it was I mean, good. I was um, impressed. I think there's Sunday a lot of room different. for growth. Uh, but I was really impressed. I'm sure it was different for the the players. So you're coming off Saturday where thousand people in the stands, thousand people plus, uh, atmosphere, you know, drums, everybody was into it. And you saw, especially in the second half, I noticed more and more of the players trying for that, that highlight moment, you know, that, that vine video, that type of stuff. Um, which is not necessarily what you want as, as a coaching staff. So then take it to Sunday where, you know, there were 50 people there and it was mostly parents. It was a typical youth soccer game. And Atlanta came out extremely flat and gave up a goal 20 seconds in. Um, when we talked to Edwin Figueroa, the center back and captain, on Saturday, one of the things he mentioned that the club was working on was learning that it was, you know, they are trying to build out of the back, but that it was okay to, if it's not on, play more direct, play faster to get the ball forward as opposed to risking a pass in the back. Well, that's exactly what they did first thing on Sunday. They had a bad giveaway in the back and gave up a goal. Uh, they got it back real quick. Um, Okonkwo scored again. And then the rest of the first half was kind of back and forth. There wasn't a whole lot in it. Uh, just Atlanta did not look the same. Um, it was the second day of a back-to-back. It was hot again. Um, and they started the same lineup with one change. So probably had a lot of tired legs. You had a different atmosphere. Um, and you might've had some players who thought that they did really, really well the day before and didn't have to work as hard the second day. Um, they realized that wasn't the case. IMG scored early in the second half to take the lead. And it was pretty late for the comeback. Um, Atlanta did come back and win three, two, uh, you had the winning goal from Bryce Washington, the other center back, on a free kick in 87th minute, if I remember right. Um, it was a tough game Sunday. And I think 
you know, the big wins are, are fun and they're great when you have the big crowd there, but the games like Sunday are the ones when you really learn what it takes at this level because they were tested. IMG was, was a better team. Um, and they realized that they don't get days off because they have an MLS badge on their Jersey. They are the new kids on the block and everybody wants to beat them. They're going to give them their best shot. Yeah. And that's, I think that was one of the quotes we got from uh, coach money on Saturday was especially the guy like Okonkwo who played out of his mind on Saturday uh, was he's got to keep his feet on the ground. He's got to keep his head down and he's got to keep doing things the right way. And his future can be bright. And maybe I wasn't there Sunday with uh, Jason. He was out there uh, pulling double duty in the heat. Uh, That was, it's, that's what it sounds like for Sunday is they just kind of, if they weren't, if it wasn't just that they were tired, but that they maybe kind of let off the gas a bit tried to get cute or whatnot with it, but it's, it's a learning experience. And the thing is, it is a U18. So if you're going to learn, you need to do it now because you're going to eventually, you're going to run out of time in the Academy and you can't be in the Academy anymore and they're going to have to make a decision. So you need to, you got to step up. You got to be consistent. You got to be a professional about things because once the time is done and you're out of the Academy, you know, they can offer you, they can choose not to offer you. Someone yeah, can, else can choose not I mean, to offer you. Like, let's, it's let's not like nail you can just go back to the academy for another year. Process, it's something to get used to. Um, players who age out of the academy this year, so this say this is their last season at U18, um, a lot of them will go on to college. A lot of players off of this U18 team that you know are college eligible will go on and play at a fairly big college. I know... Uh, Michael Illy is committed to Clemson. Uh, Okonkwo is committed to Virginia, I believe. Uh, Lagos Kunga is committed to Furman. So there's already some commitments in place for guys. Say they don't sign a, a pro deal, they go on to college. They can then possibly come out of college early and sign a pro deal and still be a homegrown player if they have enough training hours, which they should after this season. Um, so even if they go on to college, you still have the potential to sign them as a homegrown until they enter the MLS draft. And that's when you lose that opportunity. You saw that with Keegan Rosenberry, who's great right back for Philadelphia this season. He didn't have enough credit hours, training hours, what have you, to go to, to sign as a homegrown for Philadelphia, even though he had trained with their academy some. He goes into the draft, and Philadelphia made trades to get extra draft picks to be able to get Rosenberry, and they got him, and it's paid off. You have some clubs or some uh, players who could sign a homegrown deal opt not to for whatever reason. Maybe they already feel like there's a logjam at their position at that club. Maybe they didn't like how they were treated, not offered a, a homegrown deal coming out of high school. Who knows? There's lots of reasons, and they go into the, the draft anyway. So... Some players will, you'll have more players than, more players will not sign a pro deal with Atlanta United than will. You know, it's not like you're going to see half of this team in an Atlanta United uniform. You will see some. I think you definitely will see some off this U18. I think what you're going to see even more is going to be out of the U16 and 14 and on down because 
the staff that Atlanta United's put together and this professional environment, and then now having Tata Martino involved, they're going to have more of an impact on those younger players. The U18s are not a finished product, but a lot closer to it than the 16s, the 14s, the 13s, and the 12s. Uh, let me ask you, um, did anything yeah, stick 16s, out with you for the 16s? I think since on, we're talking about the younger in comparison, kids, especially with these two opponents, and you know it's it's still early in the season. The 16s were more dominant than the 18s were. Uh, the 16s, there's definitely some players in that group that I really liked that I think could could end up being something nice. Um, I think. They and I saw more of them on Sunday. I, I saw their first half on Sunday. You know, we saw kind of bits and pieces on Saturday. Uh, just, some of those kids are some, not some big 15, boys. I um, to believe some of them were. Like, I liked what I saw huge. out of some of the combination play. Uh, I liked what I saw out of the shape. I think they kind of grasped the the shape a little bit better and adjusted well. Um, I really like the holding midfielder for the 16s. Um, he reminded me of a, a Kyle Beckerman type where just wins the ball, passes, links. He was definitely the link between the back and the, getting the ball in the midfield and getting the ball in a dangerous positions. You have uh, probably going to have a few in the youth national team pools out of the 16s, but one, Jack, Jackson Conway, just returned from a stint with the U-17 national team, and he scored a goal on Sunday. So there's there's a good group there. Um, I really want to see the 13s and the 14s. I want to see kind of what's next. And just I guess where I really want to see it is now that we've seen a little bit and I, I want to get a good look at all the teams before Tata really starts to have his impact because as good as – everything is on paper. I think Martino's involvement in the Academy and Jorge Thieler as well, because of everything he did at Newell's, I think they're going to take it to another level that we haven't seen in an MLS Academy or possibly even a, a U.S. soccer Academy youth club, what have you ever. I think this is going to be completely on another level. And I hope you're right. Um, I, I mean, the bottom line is I was really impressed with what I saw. There's always room for growth. There are kids, so there's going to be rough edges. Um, you know, we talked about in the past the combination between uh, raw skill and athleticism. The athleticism is there with a lot of these kids that are big, fast, solid. You uh, you saw the, the contrast on the back line, I think, with Washington, who was just this freakish athlete who they kept avoiding on Saturday. They did not want to go at him. So instead, they go to Figueroa, who isn't the same kind of freak athlete, but he was really technically sound, really under control. Uh, as you pointed out, uh, he really commanded the back line vocally. And it, it was a nice little compare contrast between somebody who's overly athletic and somebody who is overly technical and kind of them meshing together in the back line. You saw kind of the 
how it can work together. It doesn't have to be just one or the other. I'd like to see a mixture. I mean, I'd like to see a guy like Washington become really technical. I'd, you know, I'd like to see Figueroa pick up uh, his athleticism if that's a thing. I mean, it might not be his style, though. Either way, I'm excited about what the academy is going to look like down the road because they looked good. Uh, like you said, formation wise, I thought they looked really good. Once I figured out what I was looking at formation wise, I was confused at first. Um, once I kind of figured it out, everything just kind of fell into place. And as I said, like the more and more I watched, the more comfortable they looked playing. Uh, the 16s on Saturday, from what I saw, it looked fine. It's 16 year olds, like emotion ruled the day. Conway got just obliterated a couple times. Uh, they seemed to take issue with that. People got hot heads about themselves. They had to stop the game in, I think, the third or fourth minute to have a word with a couple players. Um, you had uh, you had guys who wanted to take other players one-on-one, and it went over at about a 20% success exactly rate. Exactly, though, generous. and that's what it, the Atlanta so United you can players well, are going to have to get ready there's, for there's, is, okay, for, for Clearwater in that game at the U-16, they wanted to make a name for themselves. So some of them are going to make a name for themselves by beating you 1v1. Some of, some of them are going to make a name for themselves by knocking you down repeatedly. So Atlanta United is going to have to learn to play in that environment and deal with it and rise above it. So that's going to be the big challenge for them. The, the big difference I saw between the 18s and the 16s on Saturday and Sunday and this is this is early going. This is you know very small sample size, but the 18s were better athletes, and the 16s might be more technical. So that's kind of what I caught out of it. The the 18s were definitely dominating, yeah. especially that's the second half really on Saturday, on. and and maybe even the second half of the second half on Sunday, dominating physically. They were very fit. They had lots of size, speed, strength. The 16s have some of that, but the 16s might be better technical players at this point. Yeah, and that's um, that's fair. I mean, Saturday with the 18s, I forget who it was. Uh, the left back for Atlanta United on the 18s got taken down. I once should have been called a foul, and it wasn't. So he got up and just went like TJ Duckett shoulder into the sternum of somebody from Clearwater and just wrecked the poor kid and took the yellow card, but you got to play under control and that wasn't there, but that that's, that's going to be a thing. They're kids. I mean, I don't want to say kids will be kids. Here's violence. Have fun. But that's a, that's a learn. I think that can be a learning moment of it's both. I mean, and you got to look at it like guys who are trying to get a pro deal and the pro game is very different. And, what Bandy did in, in that instance, you might need to be a little more savvy about it, but there is an element of the pro game where, you know, you, you get kicked, you're going to kick somebody back and you got to defend yourself. I noticed that in the early in the game on Sunday where I, I can't remember who got whacked. It might've been Lagos Kunga. It might've been Machoke Chol on a, on a one V one run. And you could tell Aconquo took exception to it, and he got a shot at somebody afterwards, closer to midfield. And he did it in a spot where, okay, they call the foul, you know, no damage done. He hadn't committed any fouls at that point, so they didn't give him a card. They just talked to him, but the message was sent. And that's part of becoming a professional is, is learning how to handle those situations. So 
it's it's going to happen. It's a process. You know, you're looking at teams that kids have come from all over the you know different all over the city, all over the region, different clubs. They're now learning a new system. They're learning new teammates, and it's going to take some time for them to be at their best. And now you're going to add, you know, managers who have just tons of experience in developing young talent into the mix. So it's it's going to again. I think this academy has the potential to be very special for not just Atlanta United, but for American soccer in general. And it's it's going to be a cool ride to see where this goes. Absolutely. Um, and we'll keep you up to date, of course, um, with what the what's going on with the Academy. Keep up with Dirty South Soccer. Check us out on Twitter. Go to the website itself. Go to Facebook. We'll have stuff. If you did make it out, thank you so much. It was awesome on Saturday. The crowd was great. Really think the kids fed off the crowd, especially for the 18 game, more so than the 16 game because a lot of y'all left. Um, We're not talking about that. It was hot. You wanted to go see what George, George, what George did. George did. George did. You're lost. Um, Anyway, uh, they really fed off of that. And thanks again for coming out. If you did this weekend, if you couldn't make it. You know, come out. We'll keep you up to date on when the home games are. A lot of fun I can't to watch. make it Saturday, uh, but I'm going to be there Sunday. This, um, there you go. This weekend, I can't make it. That's on you. I cannot um, remember the time on Saturday. If you go to uh, I have a AUFC dot US Soccer DA dot com. Um, that's the Academy page and it's got all the schedules and, and all that there. So, uh, the 18s are at pace again. The 18s play in the afternoon on Saturday and 10 AM on Sunday and the 16s, I think play after both times. So just make sure you stay tuned with us. We got you covered with the Academy. As Jason said, you can always check us out. Uh, check out online at Atlanta United's page to keep up with Dirty South. If you can get out there this weekend, great. If you can't, just come out next time and the next time and the next time. So, uh, kind of shifting away from that, take a look at the whole picture of the MLS because hopefully we'll be here next year talking about uh, what what where Atlanta's going to sit in all this. But uh, MLS playoffs is it's getting fun, Jason. Man, there's log jams all over these standings. It's it's the usual MLS playoff race chaos and, you know, not to bang the pro rail gong or anything, but this is pretty entertaining. And I don't know if promotion or relegation would be any more entertaining. I mean, we'd be in that way. We'd be focused on, well, Chicago would be going down, but we'd be really, really worried about Houston and the crew and San Jose. And that's not exciting. What's more exciting is looking at, you know, the top of the Eastern Conference with three teams a point apart now. Um, and then looking at, you know, the race to get into the playoffs in both the East and West and how that's going. It's just more entertaining to me in that regard. Promotion relegation from a competitive standpoint is great. Don't get me wrong. But all the playoff picture does, in my opinion, is it just shifts it from looking at the bottom of the table to looking at the middle in terms of just entertainment value, if it's not your team in the midst of it. Well, and yeah, that's kind of fun. And it's why I've enjoyed baseball this year, to be honest, is because the Braves were just a tire fire for most of the season. I'm kind of enjoying the playoff race because I don't have an emotional stake in it. Um, in the West, hey, uh, they have a game in hand and they're sitting in sixth place. Ladies and gentlemen, without Clint Dempsey, it's the Seattle Sounders. 
<laughs> if it ended today, they're going to the playoffs. The hashtag zombie sounders are in a playoff spot as we speak. It's at the it's, expense of Portland. <laughs> it's it's pretty nuts right now, to be honest. Um, Kansas City is not safe in any no, former fashion right now, and they're the one who I think is in maybe the worst shape out of the games I've seen lately. Portland, I, I still think, can put it together and, and sneak in there. It it really wouldn't shock me if Kansas City's the one who fell out, which I wouldn't have guessed a month ago. No, I mean, you thought they were fine, but you're right. I mean, look, there's always kind of that late-season devil magic by Portland to get hot at the right time, and they should do that right now if they're going to have a shot here because – there's absolutely a world in which Kansas City is on the outside looking in with like 44 points or 43 points and Seattle and Portland are waving at them. And then Seattle and Portland, by the way, have to go play L.A. and Salt Lake City. I'm sorry, Real Salt Lake. And uh, that's you really I don't want to see Seattle or Portland in the playoffs in the first round, especially if you're L.A. because L.A. just looks bad right now. Yeah. L.A. is is crashing hard at the moment. Portland's got it tough right now, though. You look at it. They were in El Salvador in CONCACAF play Tuesday, and now they go to play in Colorado on Saturday night. That's a tough transition. Um, and they, they, they can't afford to drop points at, at anymore. I mean, that's that's where we're at in, the, in this, this part of the season. You know, Portland has three games left. Seattle has four. Portland can't throw away points anymore. So they're in Colorado, who has one of the best defenses in the league at altitude. And you're coming off a midweek game in El Salvador where you had to scrap and claw and fight to keep your CONCACAF hopes alive. That's that's a tough call for the Timbers. I want to see how they do this week. And so do I. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Vancouver's done. Like San Jose, Houston, it's dusted. It is what it is. And, you know, may they rest in peace until next year. San Jose had their chances, too. San Jose oh, has thrown yeah. away so many points in the last, you know, Vancouver, six weeks. Vancouver did, too. Vancouver played the teams above them and just didn't get the job done. Yeah, Vancouver just tanked. Vancouver was weird. They just, it's just been one of those years for them. Um, last year, they were one of my favorite teams to watch. Uh, I thought Carl Robinson did a very good job putting together. And injuries derailed them at the end of the season. This year, it just hasn't clicked at all. And they have done well in CONCACAF. Let's give them that. They finished group play undefeated. Uh, they beat Kenwin Jones, Central FC twice. They beat Kansas City twice. Um, that was good. That's the highlight of their season is their run in CONCACAF. In MLS, it just hasn't been there for them. No. Um, like you said, looking at the top... FC Dallas sitting there five points clear. Um, looking at the supporter shield, they'll be two thirds of the if they pull it off, they'd be two thirds of the way there to the treble. They're not safe. Colorado has two games in hand and is five points behind them. You do the math; they can take the supporter shield if they want to. Yeah, um, this is where you start to get into these decisions. Is you know how how much can you go for supporter shield when you do have a playoff run after it? You know, do you? Do you rest some guys when you get a chance? Uh, you also have CONCACAF going on for some teams in a situation. For Dallas, you do. It's it's tough. Um, 
the depth of your rosters in this league is, is probably one of the hardest things. And at this point in the season, especially when you're playing on multiple fronts, it's, it's tough. Uh, big game for Dallas this weekend, hosting LA. That's, that's a statement game for them. Um, and LA needs to win because LA is still tied with Colorado uh, with 48 points. Like they need to win. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause Colorado has got two games in hand. Yeah. So LA is one of these teams who can't drop points because right now they would be in the knockout game against Seattle. That's against the Seattle team that LA has consistently knocked out of the playoffs. But those Seattle teams didn't have Nicholas Ladero. This one does. And this one's got a point to prove. So you don't want that if you're the Galaxy. You don't want to have your season come down to one game. Yeah, and you're right. You don't. Um, moving over to the East, uh, you said three points separating the top teams. Uh, we get down to the middle, and it just turns into a hodgepodge of bodies everywhere. Uh, between fourth place and, let's see, it's a seven-point differential between fourth place and eighth place. Yeah, I mean, I don't see Orlando or New England getting back into it. I think they've just wasted too many opportunities. DC has really done well here late, um, picked up the points when they needed it to to solidify themselves. Montreal finally righted the ship this week, which they had been just crashing and burning, which I just never quite understood. I think Montreal, talent-wise should be pushing for the top of the East, not, you know, clinging to a playoff spot. No, and uh, Orlando's the one that gets me, because I remember a couple weeks ago watching them, and I remember they held on for a win. Uh, I think it was against uh, New York City. And thinking, oh, well, maybe this is that statement game where... You uh, where you prove that you can kind of you can kind of survive and you can get in the playoffs and be that dangerous team, but I mean you know best laid plans and all that. They had their shot against Toronto. Toronto was down a man by like what thirty minutes, and Orlando couldn't couldn't put a goal in the back of the net, and they needed those points. Orlando just I mean the Toronto game aside, Orlando does not have the defense to compete. And that's going to be Jason Kreiss's number one priority in this offseason is, is fixing that because you can't give up 57 goals in this league and be competitive. You just can't. I will happily um, beat the drum if Atlanta somehow makes the playoffs before Orlando does. Ooh. How would that go down? That would be amazing. There would be supporter groups fights. Um Someone might physically drive a train into Camping World Stadium. Well, luckily they won't be at Camping World next year, so doesn't matter. <laughs> We're just going to knock over the Citrus Bowl just just because. You got any other reasons? I mean, it, it's old. <laughs> That's true. Um, that would be something else, but I think I think they're in okay shape going forward. I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world. I mean, Orlando's state in the world. I mean, I mean, I think they can. I think they can they improve. Christ is the good guy. They for the gotta job. fix that back line, and yeah, they don't have a lot of pieces to work with. Um, and you got to look at you know long term for for Orlando. Kaká's not getting any younger, so no. where do you go there? There's no guarantee you'll keep Kyle. Kyle Aaron could be he could get an offer that's just too good to pass up, and you have to sell him now. So 
say you know say that happens this offseason you're trying to fix your defense you you sell your top goal scorer and Kakaza you're older and probably going into the last year of his contract I would assume probably did a three-year deal I, I don't think he did a two-year deal so I think he's got one more year at least um yeah I don't know and you 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 clearly clone Nicholas Soldero and you take the clone well, for yourself no That's no and this is this is where things get kind of wacky for Orlando is you have the Brazilian influence so it's not going to be Nicholas Soldero they're going to try to clone it's going to be a Brazilian version of Nicholas Ladero, who I don't know who that's going to be. And when it just goes by Nicholas and <laughs> Nico, but the, the thing is Brazilians historically have not translated as well to MLS as Argentines, New Yorkians. It just, it hasn't been that way. So Orlando has to figure out. And then again, do Brazilians necessarily fit? what Jason Christ wants to do. So there's a lot of questions in Orlando. I, they have all the tools to fix it, but can they yeah, is the question. They do. Uh, we'll see. Um, I want to see how much, how much pull he gets in making these decisions down there. Yep. Um, that, that was part that, of the I conversation here was, you know, what he demand that, that's that say in player acquisition and Orlando has an assistant GM. They do not have a GM. I don't know what the agreement was when they brought, brought him in, but to play, I think the style that he wants to play, they're going to have to make a lot of changes and no matter who's in charge, they, they had to overhaul that defense. So it's, it's, it's going to be a, a tough off season for Orlando. It will be. Um, I mean, that about wraps it up for us. So took a look at the playoffs, Jason, unless you want to look ahead at anything else. Um, the big game to me, you know, Orlando oh, has, yes. a, has a shot. They play Montreal Sunday afternoon. They're five points out from D.C. with three to play. It scared the hell out of if my, Montreal drops points there. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is this is one of those six six point swing games because Montreal's six points ahead of Orlando. If Montreal loses, Orlando wins, Orlando gets the thirty eight, those last couple weeks are gonna be interesting. We've talked about Orlando's defense, we've 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 trashed them on that end. They do have firepower. And if you go into these three games and Kyle Lair and a Kaka get hot, they could be a they could be tough and they play Montreal first. So you might be able to pull something off there. Uh, we talked about Portland. They have to win. They don't have a choice anymore. That. Yeah. Cause Seattle has a game at handle Portland. Yeah. I mean, Portland can't drop any more points. Um, New York city FC to me. And this is, this is kind of the interesting point in the East. Toronto didn't take advantage of the opportunity against Orlando. They, they got a draw. They got a point. They moved into first by themselves. You should have got three points there. So now New York City goes to Houston tomorrow night. They're in the Unimas game. That's massive for them to make that statement that they're they're legit and they're for real. I think they've, they've got the run here to win the East, be the number one seed, and have the playoffs really be decided at Yankee Stadium. How crazy is that going to be <laughs> if we get to where Yankee Stadium is hosting the Eastern Conference Finals for New York City FC and they clinch an MLS Cup spot there? 
that would be something else. I'd it be can happen. Um, the Red Bulls, I think, you know, if, if it comes down to the, the battle of New York for the East, which it very well could, that would be pretty epic. Um, I think the MLS league office might be pulling for that one. Oh yeah. That's, I don't see why not. And we'll see what happens with it. Um, you know, of course we'll go over it next week. We'll keep you up to date with what's going on. And, uh, always be sure to check us out. You can find us on Twitter. Jason Longshore can be found at long shoe. Ask him anything you need. He's got you covered. Check out the daily dirt, the daily dirt as well. Every morning on dirty South soccer, check in on Facebook Wednesday nights, 8 PM for the ATL soccer chat. Occasionally pops up during the week. If weird things happen. So always, uh, go to Facebook, turn on those notifications and, uh, jump on in and discuss things like, uh, whether or not we are throwing homemade or, uh, canned biscuits onto the field next yeah, year. That happened. That was always, that was great. <laughs> I, I will really readily admit I'm using want biscuits. I'm not making biscuits. I'm not making homemade biscuits and throwing them on the field. I will throw a can of want biscuits on there, uh, unwrapped in case one of the players just wants an after, after game meal and wants some of that, uh, wants some of those carbs. Hashtag um, y'all watch. But, yeah. <laughs> Hashtag y'all watch was another one. Um, go ahead and explain that because that's worth it. <laughs> it it, it kind of went into a couple different directions, but it was a conversation I was having with John Nelson at the press conference about you know who's going to be the first member of the Atlanta United staff. You know, we were talking about Tata and Darren and I mean even Carlos because I don't never heard Carlos say y'all. Who's going to be the first one to say y'all? legitimately in a press conference, not, you know, trying to make a joke. And we were saying if we could get Tata to do it, that would be amazing. I don't know who the first one will be. Um, Darren's been here the long, the longest. Carlos seemed, you know, appalled by the thought of saying y'all when we mentioned it to him. Um, Tata would be amazing if he dropped a y'all and then after the first game. So, I think Kenwin's uh Kenwin's Kenwin, got you can't even the Kenwin's off the board. That's just that's too easy. <laughs> well, I mean, we were like, uh, like Saturday, like we we sitting under the tent Saturday, and Darren's like, "This is fall. This is an autumn. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of weather is this? Like that would have been a perfect time to drop it and just end the conversation." But no, it didn't happen. That's what I'm saying. The the hashtag y'all oh, watch, which I didn't even think about it as it came up in the Atlanta soccer conversation. You know, it was it was funny talking about who's going to say y'all first, but when you actually do the hashtag y'all watch, it's like, whoa, okay, that's kind of like a rallying cry in some ways. So, yeah, you know, MLS y'all watch. So, uh, keep up Wednesday nights. That's the kind of thing that happens for better or worse. It's actually for better. Don't you think for a second Usually. otherwise? Yeah. So anyway, Jason Longshore, if you found at Longshore. I'm Jarrett Smith. You can find me at Jarrett underscore Smith. Be sure to keep up with the Peachtree Post on Twitter and Facebook. Dirty South Soccer, Atlanta United. And uh, we will see you next week. Thanks again.